Welcome this morning to Milestone Church. So glad that you have joined us. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. And as Katie said, we're always honored when we have first-time guests. And so if this is your first time with us, thank you so much for joining us. It's a big deal uh, to us. And if I hadn't had a chance to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. Well, we're continuing our series called Subject to Change. And we're looking at what is it, how, how do we navigate life when we experience change? What does it look like to look to God's word and biblically navigate change as we experience it? See, change is something we're all going to experience. We can't get away from it. It's going to be there. We're going to experience it. It's not going to go away, but how do we navigate change? We all go through experiencing change in different ways. And so as we turn to God's word, we've been looking in Exodus. In fact, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, Exodus Chapter 16, verse 2, we'll get there in just a minute. But you may be saying, why are we studying Exodus? Why are we looking at the story of Exodus to discover what it looks like for change? Let me summarize just a little bit of the story for you just as a way of review, even from last week and a few, uh, a few of the weeks before as we've looked at the story of the people of Israel. God's bringing them out of slavery, bringing them out of Egypt, and leading them into the promised land. And here's the thing that you begin to realize about where they're at, because how they are experiencing change oftentimes is how we experience change. They prayed for it. How many of you have ever prayed for God to do something, and then he answers you? But the change that he brings doesn't look like what you thought the change would look like. And you start going, God, well, I mean, what, what's going on? What happened? He's like, I answered your prayer. Well, what's happening? Why is it? And that's what happens to the people of Israel. The, the Bible says they're crying out to God. God answers their prayer, delivers them, and sends them out. And so oftentimes when change comes about, change comes about because we experience it because God's actually answering a prayer. And, and the truth is that we experience change because God wants to change us. There are things he wants to do inside of us, and we begin to discover a new side of who God is. We, we begin to discover him in a greater and develop a deeper relationship with him because we discover him in a greater way because he's leading us in to greater things. So as we're journeying, as we're looking, as we look at our life in comparison to the Israelites, we look and we actually, when you look at the journey, I, I want us to, to look at this map we've been looking at over the last few weeks because I want you to have an understanding visually of what was happening. God's leading the people out of Egypt. He's using a man named Moses to do so, leading them from Egypt to the promised land. Now, uh, historians and scholars would say that that journey I've shared with you before is about 11 to 18 day journey. The reason it is a journey uh, from 11 to 18 days is because they had to go through the wilderness. That was part of the journey, is going through the wilderness. Why? Because God didn't just want to get them out of Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of them. There was change that he was wanting to bring about inside of them. And when Moses led the people out of Egypt, it should have only been an 11 to 18 day journey, but it turned into a 40 year journey. And there were 2.5 million people that left out of Egypt, but only two of the original 2.5 entered into the promised land. You start thinking about that, you wrap your brain around that, 2.5 million to two? How, how does that even happen? 11 
to 18 days turns into 40 years? How does that happen? And again, you may be going, why are we even looking at this, Pastor Chris? Why are we studying this journey? Well, when you look at the Bible and you look at the Word of God, all through the Word of God, this story is evident. It's used over and over and over. In fact, this story is a type and shadow of really what Jesus does in our life. Delivering us out of slavery, out of sin. Delivering us out of bondage and setting us free. That's what he does. So, so this is a type and shadow of what Jesus does in our life. But the other thing is this. When you look in the New Testament and it references this story, it essentially summarizes it this way. Learn from the people of Israel. Don't do the same thing they did. You are going to potentially have to walk through a wilderness, but you don't have to wander in a wilderness. You don't have to go round and round in what should have been 11 to 18 days. doesn't have to turn into 40 years. Why? Because God is wanting to do something in your heart, do something in your life, and provide a way for you to begin to recognize how he's working and moving on your behalf. Last week we looked and as we saw, we, we discovered that as God is working, we, we looked at the story of Israel and we recognized that God will never lead us into change without giving us direction through that change. That, that he brings direction, he brings, he brings clarity, that he's a personal God, that he will show up on your behalf. He's not harsh, he's not impatient. He's not mad. He's not frustrated. He loves you. He believes in you. He has a plan and purpose for you. And we looked at this wild story in the Old Testament that God came and he brought a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it, we discovered that last week it wasn't so much about the cloud and the fire as much as it was a representation of God saying, I see you, I know you, I'm here for you, and I'm with you to guide you. That he gives you direction. And I want to encourage you, you may be in a season of your life, young or old, and you're going, God, I need direction. What do I do? How do I handle this situation? What's my next step? Uh, what about this business opportunity, this business venture? What about school? I'm praying about some. I mean, I talk to young people all the time, and they're like, man, I'm, you know, they're freshmen, sophomores, juniors. They're already dialed into where am I going to college and what am I going to do? You're looking for We all are looking for direction. And I want to encourage you, if you need direction, just stop a minute and ask God. God, help me. Give me direction. And as he begins to speak to you, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Be obedient. As the people of Israel follow the cloud, he's going to, and again, we discovered it's not about, you're thinking, oh, Pastor Chris, is there, like, is, is a cloud going to show up? And I just kind of follow it, and that's what I do. And we're looking for signs. It's not a sign that you're looking for. Because we discovered that really it's Jesus is the ultimate direction that he gives. And when we follow Jesus, we'll begin to follow the path in which the Lord has in store for us. So last week we looked at direction. This week we're going to look at provision. How does God provide for us? You know, provision is a big deal. And I, and I began to realize in my own life, just like with, with change, I don't always handle change as well as I'd like to think I do. We don't really handle God's provision really well. We get worried, we get dialed up, we get anxious, we get fearful. We start wondering, am I going to have enough? How's this going to work out? What's this going to look like? And so I want to share another story with you that is equally as crazy as a pillow of fire and a cloud by day. Because what begins to happen is God begins to rain down bread from heaven on a daily basis. Now I know you're thinking, wait, whoa, what? 
Let's look at Exodus chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 31. I know I told you to go to verse 2. We're going to get there in just a minute. But I want to use this verse to set up what is happening here for the people of Israel. Here's what it says, Exodus 16, verse 31. It says, the people of Israel called the bread manna. Okay, what is manna? What is that? What does that look like? It says that it was white like coriander seed, tasted like wafers, and it was made with honey. So here is this substance that God is right. Nothing, there's never been anything like this before. There's never been anything like this since. It says that God rains down manna from heaven on a daily basis. Now, I want you to, I want you to visualize with me. Understand what's happening. They're wandering in the desert. There's no DoorDash. There's no Uber Eats. There's no in and out late at night. There's no Kroger pickup or delivery. They are there and they are hungry. You ever been on a trip with your children and they're hungry? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're just full on. It's like ravenous wolves. And you start, it's funny because I start thinking about when my kids are like, Dad, what are we eating? We're hungry. And I find myself saying the things my dad used to say. Anyone ever, ever you experience that? I mean, I remember growing up, my mom and dad, they were frugal. So we'd be driving and we'd be going to Laredo, border town, where my parents grew up. It was about a four-hour drive from Austin. Well, my parents, I'm like, can we stop at McDonald's? They're like, no. So my mom would bring crackers, cheese, and summer sausage and a cutting board. And she'd pull out a knife and start cutting up summer sausage and all this stuff. And I, then I got older and I started having kids. I'm like, I don't think it's a very good idea to be driving 60 miles down the road with a sharp object in the car. She's just cutting up summer sausage. And I would tell my dad, like, Dad, I don't want summer sausage. Well, what can we eat? What's for dinner? And he'd say, fingers. I'm like, Dad, really? That's sick. Are you crazy? Well, now my kids will be driving in the car. Dad, what's for dinner? Can we go to Cane's? Can we go to Chick-fil-A? What's for dinner? I'd say, fingers. I'm like, what? You know, you just, it's like, what is happening? Here is Moses. The people of Israel are complaining and they're going, we're hungry. So God shows up and he provides. And it says that he provided manna. That rain, now, what is manna? Well, the word manna in Hebrew means what is that? Not really. It doesn't mean that in Hebrew. But can you imagine opening up your front door and there's manna and you're going, what is that? We all come in contact with stuff where we go, what is that? I was traveling on a trip with some friends and we're in a small town in Washington. It's a little town called Skycomish. This is how you know how big this town is. You know you're in a small town when you go into the cafe and the mayor is your waiter. The mayor of Skycomish was waiting on us. I think he actually owned the hotel and the cafe. And so we're asking him about what's the best thing to eat here, the Skycomish burger, this and that. And he's like, we got our world famous. I'm like, world famous, really? Chicken tenders? I'm like, well, what's in that? Like, well, we got a batter, and then there's a chicken substance that's in there. And then and he just he just keeps going. I'm like, wait a minute, chicken substance? I don't know. I'll pass. Give me the burger. But there's a couple things you look at and you go, what is that? Well, the first thing I think of, you know, because as a pastor, there's a lot of roles that I play. I pray for you, encourage you, counsel you. But there's some things that i got to help us a little bit. And one of the things that we got to realize, what is that? Some of you, when we get into Easter, there's a dangerous thing that you partake of. This is very dangerous for you. It's called peeps. What is that? 
I mean, is it is it styrofoam? Is it a marshmallow substance? Do I use that for fix-a-flat? What is that? You don't need to eat that. I'm just telling you, don't give it. I know. I'm stepping on toes now. It's like I'll preach about sin and heaven and hell. But don't, you're like, don't talk about my peeps. I'm just telling you. What is that? But maybe like, you, how about this? Okay. Twizzlers. What is that? Twizzlers? And people that usually like, you just flop it out. And then they got real fancy. I remember there's a time people were like, use Twizzlers as a straw. I'm like, what is that? You don't know why. What is Twizzler? I don't even know what that is. Here's another one. Circus peanuts. What are circus peanuts? What is it? Is that like leftovers from like the elephants? What is that? But there's one more. You know, because we live in the great nation of Texas. And it's when we're driving down the highway, there are times where we're strategically looking for this bastion of hope on these billboards. And they're red in nature. And they have a big old beaver on them. And it says, Bucky's, 75 miles. You're like, I can't wait. You speed up, you know. But we live in one of the greatest parts of the great nation of Texas because we got a Bucky's right up the highway. And I love Bucky's. You ever been to Bucky's? Bucky's is like, I mean, they, got, they figured it out. You can walk in. If your wife wants a painting, if she wants a candle, you can get it. It's right there. If you need a fishing line or a cooler or, or a backpack, it's right there. You can get it. If you want clean bathrooms with their own individual stalls, I don't know how they keep it so immaculate. I can't keep my bathroom in my home that clean. What? I mean, it's there. You got it. If you want a brisket sandwich, you just, you just grab it. Give me one at $5. Give me, give me two of those. Man, I got one and one to look at, okay? You know, we just, you got it. But there's one thing that got I, I, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. Because when you walk to check out, you know, they got all the, they're trying to get that last-minute upsell on you. But they got something there called beaver nuggets. <laughs> what is that? Beaver nuggets? I don't know. I, I, I'm old enough to remember. She remember Corn Pops. She remember, I think Corn Pops went out of business, called Bucky's and said, I got an idea. Beaver nuggets. What is that? So when you think about manna from heaven, bread from heaven, it comes down. It's not so much about the substance of manna. It's more about God showing up and saying, I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to sustain you. You see, provision is God's heart for us. He will always provide for you where he's leading you, where he's guiding you, where he's directing you. He will always make a way to provide for you. And as we talked about last week, we all come to the place where we're going, God, I need direction in my life. I need a little help. Can you help me out? I need, I need you to show me. And he will show up. He'll give you direction. But here's what I recognize is the thing that we care about more than wanting God's direction is understanding will we have God's provision. In fact, it's the thing we're most afraid about. We fear about, am I going to have enough? Are we going to make, in fact, when you think about provision, there's a couple of ways that you process provision when you're going through change, when you're going through challenges. The first is this, you start wondering, if I had more, in my, uh, more then my life would be better. If I just had more, I'd get more. More, more, more is not always better. But we think if I had more, life would be better. So we, we burn the candle at both ends for all this to try and accumulate provision and wealth and resources because then life 
would be better. That's one way we can kind of process and work through provision. Or sometimes we think of provision this way. I'll never have enough. I'm always going to come up short. I'll never have everything that I need and all the things that I'm believing for, I'll always miss out. Or fear and worry can creep in and you start thinking, I'm afraid I'm going to lose what I do have. All ways in which we can process and view provision, but, but there's another way that we can view provision. We can view provision from the context of understanding that God will supply all of your needs. His word says he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will provide all that you need. And this was the lesson that God is teaching the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 16. We're going to look at starting in verse 2, and then we're going to jump down to another portion picking up in verse 17. But let's start in verse 2 of chapter 16. And there's two key parts of this story that we're going to highlight. God's leading them out. They're, they're walking. They're, they're following the cloud. God's been providing. They were thirsty. Moses, he, he uses Moses to provide water from a rock. And here's where we pick up verse 2. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have, been, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Okay, not true. Not true. It, what was happening is in the middle of the challenge that they were walking through, in the middle of the change, they're looking back to what they once had. And can I tell you, when you start looking back and you're grumbling, complaining, then what you look back on, you don't see accurately. That is not what it looked like, but that's what they thought it looked like. You start thinking, oh, if I went back, if it looked like this, if it, no, 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 not accurate. You see, God wants you to look forward. He wants you to move forward. That's why he get God's, God is always operating with vision, forward thinking. The word provision actually means for the vision. He wants to give you provision for the vision that you're moving forward and moving ahead. Because God will always guide you. God will always provide for you for where he is taking you. And that's what's at stake here. You, you continue to read. We look at verse 4. It says, the Lord, Moses, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. You see, there's always a test when it comes to God's provision. You see, the test is, are you trusting God or are you trusting yourself? Your experience, your willpower, your drive, your resolve. What is it that you're doing and how is it that you are operating? You see, God's supernaturally providing for them. Verse 5 goes on and it says, On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. Now, now just a side note, why did he tell them to do that? Because the seventh day was the Sabbath. They're to rest. So on the sixth day, they're to gather what they need for both of those days. But if you notice, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you a picture of dependency. Don't go and just get anything and every, gather exactly what you need. You see, when provision, you think about provision, if you allow yourself, worry creeps in and you start thinking, well, what if I don't have enough? What if, what? and you start get, hoarding. I need this, I need that, I need, let me tell 
watch what begins to happen. See, because that's exactly where the people of Israel were. God's providing them to the point where they still complain. It wasn't enough that God even then in turn provided quail. So now they got manna and quail for them to eat. He's, he's providing for them and taking care of them. But watch what begins to happen in verse 17. It says, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, which is slightly more than uh, two dry quarts. When they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. You see, God provided for everyone everything they needed for each day. I mean, this is an out-of-the-box story about God's provision. But we have to recognize, what is he doing? He's bringing us back to help us see, you're not the source. You're not the source. In fact, when you allow fear and worry to creep in and you try and gather more than you need to have it stay over till the morning, what happens? It begins to rot. Because you're not the source. I'm going to provide for you each and every day exactly what you need for each day. You see, God will always provide. He's always providing. And, and I want you to see that even as we look, that there's significance in the context of him using bread, manna. Because just as we recognized last week that the cloud, it wasn't about the cloud and it wasn't about the fire, that there was this progression that God was saying, I want you to know I'm compassionate, I see you, I'm with you, I'm for you. So he sent a cloud and fire. Then he, then he brought the tabernacle, then it was the altar, but ultimately what did it culminate in? Him sending Jesus. Him sending Jesus to say, I want you to know that I'm with you, I'm for you, so I'm going to send my son. Well, the same is true here when it comes to the bread. So it starts with the manna. How does God show his provision? How does he help us see it? It starts with the manna. He said, look, you're wandering in the desert, I'm going to provide manna. He goes on, there's another, there's another significant story about bread. There's a prophet, Elijah, and a woman, and, and, and this oil and the bread, and, and she's trying to, to see if she has enough to provide for her and her family, but she ended up having more than enough. You see, when we trust God and we're dependent on him, then what begins to happen is his provision is miraculous, and it always outweighs our specific needs. That's true as you look in one of the most significant stories in the New Testament where Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's a little boy comes. He's got a couple of loaves of bread and five fish and comes to the disciples. And, and here he is. And you may be wondering, why are you telling a story about fishes and loaves? Isn't that like, you know, when you, you'd be telling that story when it's like we're going to receive a miracle offering or it's about giving. and Well, yeah, I mean, yes, the premise is God can do more. In his hand, it was a lunch. In God's hand, it can be multiplied. That is part of the premise of the story. But I want you to recognize the significance of the story because he fed 5,000 people with two loaves of bread and five fish. Now, at times, they didn't all, at this time, they didn't always count every individual. So it's actually thought that there were 15,000 people, not 5,000 people, is what many scholars think. 
And so he provides. Then just after this, directly after performing this miracle, in John 6, the disciples come to him. And they go, hey, can you, can you do that one again? Like, like, I like this multiplication, like feed us and do all that. And he says, no, 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 no. He goes, no, you're looking for something, and I want you to know that really what you're looking for is me because I am the bread of life. You see, even in this context, it starts with manna. It went to Elijah and the widow. It went to the feeding of the 5,000. But it ends with Jesus, who is the bread of life. He is the provision. In fact, John 6, verse 48 says, I am the bread of life. The ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. You see, the greatest provision God ever gave is Jesus. It's Jesus. The greatest provision God ever gave you is Jesus. It's not the things you have. It's not the resources. It's not the money. It's not the things you accumulate. It's Jesus. And as I look in my life and I begin to look over my life, I start recognizing how all along the way this has been something that God has been wanting and needing to do in me. When I look over 20 plus years of serving Jesus, I feel like this instance of trusting God with his provision is what he always brings me back to. Now, I'd like to think, I mean, I don't feel like I'm, I've been wandering through the desert. You know, I mean, I feel like, Lord, I'm learning, but, and I'm growing in it. But there are moments where, just like any of you, we come to the place where we go, here's what it needs to look like, and here's how I'm going to do it, and I'm going to have this in place. And we think and do our best to get all these things in place. When really what it comes down to is we're trying to control the situation and be the source. And what Jesus is saying, what God is telling us through this story is, you're not the source. I'm your source. I'm going to provide for you. Jesus is the way. And I want you to recognize, see, because what happens is this. As we look over the context of the, 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 the people of Israel and this journey, we begin to realize that, yes, we're going to search for direction, but our biggest fear is a lack of provision. Our biggest fear. We want direction. We want direction in our life, but our biggest fear is, will I have enough? But I want you to know, not only can we trust God to guide us, we can trust him to provide for us. He's our provider. He will make a way. And by and large, in spending time with people, especially in this community, we, 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 we want direction, but I, you want to know what most of us wrestle with? Will I have enough? Am I going to be able to make ends meet? I've got to do that. I've got to go here. I've got to make sure. i got to. Gotta, and we, we get stressed and worried about God's provision. And it's like you know God will provide for you because he's a good God, depending on your relationship with him and how long you've been serving him. But yet it's amazing how our actions and the way we respond and the way we process that is the fact that really it's motivated out of fear and wondering, will I have enough? But we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that. I think of my own life as I've learned that and God showed me that through the years. I grew up, my dad, he taught, I mean, I'm so grateful for my father and the way I grew up. My dad grew up in the projects of Laredo, little border town. In Texas, three-bedroom, concrete floor, cinder block home. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Basically like the homes you build on a mission trip. He's the oldest of eight kids, four boys in one room, four girls in the other. Only one that graduated college and only one of three that graduated high school. 
And I can remember him telling me, I just wanted, he graduated from the business school at University of Texas and grew up in Austin. And he'd say, son, I just wanted you and your brothers to have what, what we didn't have. And he did. He worked hard to do that. But what I'm so grateful for is my dad along the way also didn't alleviate the things that he did learn. Because he taught us a lot about stewardship. He taught us a lot about how to take care of our things. I can remember growing up, I heard about these new shoes that were coming out called Air Jordans. Yeah, When they first came out, all the youngsters in here, yeah, I got some of those. No, I'm talking about when they first came out. Okay, The original Air Force Ones, all right? I'm like, Dad, I want He's like, well, how much are they, son? I said, $150. He said, $100 and what? He said, I'll tell you what. I'll pay the $35 I've been spending on your tennis shoes for the last 13 years. But you can pay the difference. Now, there's a lawnmower and a weed eater in the garage. You can go and knock on some doors and mow some yards in the neighborhood. And so I did. But he taught me about responsibility. And he taught me about those things. And I began to learn what it looks like to steward well. Even to this day. And how I steward the things that I have. But here's what I began to realize, that along the way, I can operate with stewardship, but the question is, am I trusting God for his provision? We need to be good stewards. We need to work hard. It's not about not working hard. But when we trust and know that God is our provider, it changes the way we operate and the way we see things. Because what God is doing is he's trying to develop dependency in us. So why does God want us to do that? Why is God showing us those things? Well, three simple things I want to leave you with today. Three simple things. First is this. Why does God want us to, be, to depend on him? Well, first is that God never leaves us without provision, but he wants us to want him more than what he provides. Do we want him? It's not about not having the stuff. We can have the stuff. But do we want him more than we want his provision? I shared with you last week. I said if God came and said, you can either have more of my presence in your life or I'll answer your top three prayer requests, which would you pick? Well, that becomes hard because we think, well, I want the prayer request. Because we fail to think. We think God is just there to dispense what we want when in reality, the pathway to receiving what we need is actually through relationship. It's through relationship. If having all the stuff and having all the provision resulted in greater health than everyone who had a lot of stuff, would be a spiritually and emotionally healthy. But how many of you know that's not always the case? In fact, the hardest people to lead in the world and the hardest people to get this are those who have enough resources to mitigate their feeling and the pressure of the needs that they actually have. But you can have a lot of stuff and still not have dependency. You see, God's trying to lead us to being dependent on him because he wants us to be focused on the giver not the gift. So you recognize, okay, God, I want more of you in my life. And God, you're going to provide for me, but I want more of you more than just what you provide. Because when that happens, here's what you experience, that dependency that I'm talking about. Because dependency diminishes fear and unlocks provision. Dependency. Dependency is not weakness. In fact, when you look back at verse 4 of chapter 16, it said that God said, I'm going to test you in this. What's he testing? He's testing, are you going to rely on yourself, your ability, your experience, your willingness to work hard, or are you going to rely on me? You see, there's no greater test 
than the test of provision. In fact, we're most susceptible when we feel like we have everything covered. We work so hard, I got it covered, I got it covered, I got it covered. I'm not talking about good planning. I'm not talking about good stewardship. I'm not talking about wise investment. I'm talking about you work so hard to make sure you have it covered. To insulate yourself because you want to make sure that you've got it taken care of. When you get in that place, it's dangerous because you start missing out on the dependency that God's trying to develop inside of you. A dependency that says, God, I know you are the source. I know you are my provider. That's why he says, I am your daily bread. Jesus is the bread of life. That daily bread, I grew up in a heritage where that was a prayer. That, that The Lord's prayer is not actually a prayer. It's a model in how to pray. God, give us our day, our daily bread. Give me just what I need today. And let me be a good steward of what you've entrusted to me today. Let me take it and use it. And I know that you are providing for me and my family. All the things that you're looking for in your business, in your work, in your family, with your children. All the things that you're looking for, God will provide. And when you're dependent on him, it doesn't make you weak. It actually quiets fear. And it unlocks God's provision. It changes your perspective. It changes your perspective. Because what begins to happen is you recognize that God is a provider. In fact, when we look at provision, one of the words for God is Jehovah Jireh. My provider. Some of you old school, you remember that song? Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Y'all don't know nothing about that. That's old. Some of y'all old school in here. Y'all remember that one. He's a provider. He's going to take care of you. He's going to make a way. He's going to lead. It doesn't mean you don't work hard. doesn't mean you don't plan, prepare. doesn't mean you don't have good stewardship. But your dependency is on him. And when you have a dependency on him, you grow in your trust in him. You see, we, don't out, we never outgrow the need to trust God. There's no shortcuts. I had a phone call this week. Gentleman I was talking to went to bed, had a good job, great job. Woke up that next morning to an email that the company sent out middle of the night and said, the business is closed. Your severance package is whatever vacation you have left. That's it. That's it. You imagine waking up and getting that phone call or getting that email in your email box in the middle of the night. You went to bed and had a job. You woke up. You don't have a job. I know what I'd be thinking about. Well, how am I going to take care of this, 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 this? That's what I'm thinking about. So I'm talking to this gentleman, and he said, well, Pastor Chris, he said, man, I, we started subject to change, and I started thinking, I'm like, man, I, you know, everything in life's pretty settled. I feel pretty good, and this would be good, you know, helpful stuff for small group, and I'll just kind of stow it away and, and kind of put it on the side for, you know, just some wisdom for other people when things come up. He said, but little did I know I was going to get up this morning and talk about subject to change. I'm in the middle of living it. He's like, I guess I better follow the cloud. I'm going to trust you. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I've got a couple of options, but you know what? God's our provider. We'll be good. We're going we're gonna to be fine. I'm like, can you lay hands on me? Pray for me. I need, I need some of that. You want to know where that came from? A dependency on God going, he's my provider. That he would wake up in the morning and no longer have a job and go, God, you're my provider. That job ain't my provider. God's my provider. He's going to make a way. He's going to open the door. Because when that begins to happen, here's the third thing. We navigate change best when we're grateful. 
You see, that man was grateful. And a lack of gratefulness will make you want to go back to where you once were. It's amazing when you're not grateful. Can I go back to that? And here's what I've realized is that what begins to happen is when we're ungrateful, it gives way to complaining and comparison. But the root of complaining and comparison is entitlement. And we live in a culture and a society, there's a whole lot of entitlement. There's a whole lot of people got a whole lot of opinions about a whole lot of stuff, but they've done nothing and they feel entitled to something. It ain't healthy. When in reality, the truth is we should be grateful. We are blessed. God has provided. We live in a blessed country. We live in a blessed area. DFW. There are people moving here day by day by day. We are blessed. And it's amazing how we complain. But we don't have to. We can be grateful. We can have gratitude lead us and guide us. And when we have great gratitude and gratefulness, we navigate change so much better. I was reminded of this. I'm going to end with this story. And I'm going to pray for you. I was reminded of this yesterday. I was at a funeral in New Orleans, Wendy and I. And we were there for uh, the funeral of a man named Mr. Curtis. Curtis Abadie. Good Cajun man. And Mr. Curtis was like a, a dad to Wendy. Prayed for her. Prayed for us. And Wendy would talk to them often. They would write letters to us and the kids all the time. And we would talk to them. And, and he was sick. He actually, he, and we live. I mean, you want to talk about living in a season where things are up in the air? I mean, I'm not, I'm not minimizing challenges you're experiencing or we're experiencing. I mean, even just, I mean, pandemic and all these things, loved ones impacted by COVID. Mr. Mr. Curtis had pneumonia a few years ago, so his lungs are compromised. He got COVID. So he essentially passed away from pneumonia that was brought on by COVID. And we were talking to him, and it was probably five days. When he says about five days before he passed away, and it was before I went on a trip. And I remember calling him, and, and we called to pray for him. And so we're praying for him on the phone. And he stops, and he says, Chris! He has this raspy, high voice, and he always yelled. I, th- I don't know if he was partially deaf or not. I, thought, I think he may have been because he was always yelling. But then again, he was Cajun. They're all loud, you know. So they got one volume loud. He said, Chris! He said, The Lord told me, how can I pray for you? And he just starts crying. He was always crying, just real sensitive to the Lord. So he starts crying. He's praying for me and Wendy. And here he is on his deathbed, on his deathbed. And you know what he's thinking about? How can I pray for you? And when we went to that funeral yesterday, here's the thing about a funeral. You begin to realize that funerals is either people or not who they presented themselves to be. Because you start hearing people talk about them and it's surface and shallow. Or you realize who you thought someone was. Not only are they who you thought they were, but they are greater. And that's the story of Mr. Curtis. Because as we were there, they're telling stories about how they called him. He was an old welder at the shipyard. How they called him preacher man and rev. They said, oh, don't let Kurt, old Kurt going to get a hold of you. All them boys, they run from Kurt. They didn't want to see Kurt because he was preaching at them. But they said, if I ever had a problem, here's what happened. You 
see people go and tap on old Mr. Curtis's welding hat, his, his helmet, take it off. Hey, Mr. Curtis, we pray for you. Y'all know why? Because they knew he knew how to pray. They knew that he was grateful. And I think about a man who in the middle of being on his deathbed, when I'm praying for him, he's thinking, how can I? Y'all know why? Because that's a man who knew that God was his source. To the point where his son, his youngest, Peter, told a story. One of the last times, because they ended up intubating him and he couldn't talk. He comes in and Peter's just broken down. He's crying and Mr. Curtis says, Pete, so this ain't a bad thing. He said, you know what we need to do? Praise the Lord. And what's so funny is when Peter said that at the funeral, I can remember, I don't know how many times, I would be on the phone. He'd just say, praise the Lord. We're going to praise the Lord. Here he is on his deathbed. We're going to praise the Lord. Can I tell you what we need a little more of? Not entitlement. We need a little bit more. Let's praise the Lord. We're going to praise Jesus. He's good. He's faithful. He provides. And I'm telling you, at that funeral, I'm reminded of what Mr. Christ and the impact he had on so many people. But you know where that was rooted in? He knew God was his provider. He said, I'm just going to praise the Lord. And I want to encourage you today. The greatest provision you can ever have is having Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. 